Hello, my name is Todd Martin from Smithville Mennonite Church, and I'm so glad we can spend some time together in God's Word right now. I'd like us to begin with prayer. Oh Lord, thank you for your Word. I pray that it would speak to us, and as always, Lord, that there would be more of you and less of me. Through Christ I come. Amen. Well, this has been quite a year, hasn't it? There's been much death and fear. I recently reported to my church council that in the last year, uh, we as a congregation have had eight people pass away, more than any other year I've pastored, or lived for that matter. We've had this virus hanging over us like a wet blanket, darkening and dampening our lives continually. And I don't know if you watched the presidential debate the other week, but I would use one word to describe that. Chaos. In fact, chaos is a word I would use to describe much of life at this moment in time. A couple years back, I was in an airport restroom, and by the sink, I found a book called Hope in a Chaotic World by Ray Stedman. Now, I don't usually pick up restroom books, but if you know me, you know that I'm a big Ray Stedman fan. He wrote the go-to reference on the book of Revelation that inspired a series I did and also guided our winter Bible intensive that we do every January. So this book, Hope in a Chaotic World, caught my attention, and I found that it was a study on the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Now, Ray, Ray Stedman is one of the best and most down-to-earth Bible scholars I read, and his book title, Hope in a Chaotic World, inspired this sermon series that we're doing. I believe right now we all need some hope in our chaotic world. If someone is close to you, you should look at them and say, do you need some hope in the chaos? And now look back at them and say, I need some hope in the chaos. Finding hope in chaos will be our main theme as we move through this little book with a big name, Thessalonians. As we begin this series, you need to know some context for this little book with a big name. It's named after the people of a city Paul went to for three weeks and is considered one of the oldest letters Paul wrote, dating back to around 50 A.D., Interestingly, this is one of the few cities Paul visited that still exists today, though it is now called Thessaloniki, or just Salonika. Paul, you see, was on the move, spreading the good news of Jesus wherever he went, and he got a foothold in Thessalonica. In Acts 17, and if you'd like to turn there, you can, but if you don't, I would just have you play this scene on the movie screen of your mind. I'm going to Acts 17 and reading nine verses. We catch a glimpse 
of the beginning of this church. Again, Acts 17, verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Textual time out. If you didn't notice, the church has been born. Verse 5. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world. Now they have come here. Verse 7. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Born in the midst of a riot, this church was a target from day one. Persecution was part of the program. The church was under attack. How would it respond? You see, God had a plan for this little Thessalonian church. It was a big plan. This was one of the first churches in Europe. This was the gateway to the entire Western world. So these people were chosen with a God-sized task to accomplish. Chosen to be the church in a chaotic world. What is the church? You know, I teach my people at Smithville Mennonite uh, sort of a, a redo of an old rhyme. And I wish... Uh, on the podcast or the radio, you could see my hands, but I'll just do the rhyme for you. You see, you, you uh, weave your fingers together and you wiggle your fingers on your hands and you say, this is the church. See all the people? Then you fold them together and pop your forefingers out and you say, but this is just a building with a steeple. You see, as little kids, we're taught, this is the church, look at the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. But the church is not a building, friends. A church is the people. That's why I say, this is the church. See all the people? This is just a building with a steeple. All right, friends, if you've got somebody close to you, you can turn to them and say, Whew, finally, his introduction is over. You know, it's great to be chosen, isn't it? It's not so great when you're not chosen. I have vivid memories of elementary school playground at Dalton and picking teams. Now, I was uncoordinated and uncool, so oftentimes I was the last to be chosen. 
Sometimes you weren't even chosen. You just went with the team that didn't want you the least. It's not a good feeling. But here's the good news, and this is your point for today's message. In Jesus, you are chosen. In Jesus, you are chosen. And this gives us hope, as this is what we find in our Bible today. Now I would ask you to open to 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1 Thessalonians 1.1, if you get to your New Testament, it's the 13th book back from the Gospel of Matthew. So you want to jump Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Acts of the Apostles, Romans 2, Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and to Thessalonians. That's where it's at. So I need you to turn there right now in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand, I really wish you would reach out to me at Smithville Mennonite Church, and we will see to it that you get a Bible. We have distributed uh, hundreds of Bibles right in our local area to people that want a Bible they can read and understand. So feel free to reach out uh, through our website, uh, smc585.org, or uh, give us a call at 330-669-3601. You know, God has a task for all of us. He has chosen you to be a part of this listening congregation of Smithville Mennonite. If this is day one or day 1,000, God has a plan for us to fulfill, just like he did for the Thessalonians, to be the church in a chaotic world and find hope. As we read these verses, I want to highlight a few key thoughts, then jump out and remind, or I should say that jump out, and remind us that we are not that different today. And how we too can have hope in Jesus, since we are indeed chosen. Again, I hope by now you're in 1 Thessalonians verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you, for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Let me emphasize verse 4 one more time. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Your subpoint number one. The three marks of a chosen person is faith, love, and hope. The three marks of a chosen person are faith, love, and hope. Now, my challenge question to you is simply this. Are these qualities, these three marks of a chosen person, are they evident in you? Faith, love, and hope. Now, this is a letter written by a man who loves this church. He's calling out the beauty he sees in these chosen people. 
of faith is one of them. And it's the first quality he recognizes. This, we know, is a fruit of the Spirit. But what is faith? It's good to be reminded of the biblical definition from Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. These Thessalonians have been working off faith alone. This letter was written probably 20 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. They had only heard about him. They had not seen him. They were on a different continent. In his earthly ministry, Jesus never left about a hundred mile radius. Now people were hearing of him from far away. What would bridge the gap? Faith. Think about your own faith walk. How did you hear about Jesus? Why did you choose to believe in him? Has it always been easy? Oh, friends, faith is work. To believe in what you do see is often hard. But to believe in what you don't see, that is work. You know, the Sunday this was preached at Smithville Mennonite Church, we had two young men that were giving their confession of faith, that is their testimony, before they were baptized. And it's so good to hear I'd invite you to go to our YouTube channel and check out that baptismal service. It was very powerful. But maybe it's time to remember your testimony as well and refresh your faith. But the eternal fuel of faith is love. And these folks had that as well. The labor they did was prompted by love. I wonder if this is where we get the phrase, labor of love. Have you ever labored for love? You know, I remember my first Christmas dating my wife, Rebecca. I thought it would be romantic to go and get a Christmas tree together. Then it was suggested to get one for her parents, too. Well, we went to a tree farm, and of course, to prove my manly lumberjack skills, we went to a cut-your-own-tree place. Well, my dearest helped me pick out a tree for my apartment. And I bent over with my little handsaw and zipped through the trunk that was about the size of my wrist. It was quick and easy, and I was feeling manly indeed. Then she picked another handsome tree for her folks, close to the same size and shape, as the previous. I thought, this is a breeze. Two trees in ten minutes, then back to the apartment for hot chocolate and hugs. Little did I realize the second tree was a pygmy pine. The trunk was thicker than my thigh. So I was down, bent over, a shavupa, voopa, 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 sawing on that tree, sweat running down my brow. I'm hearing other shoppers with little chainsaws popping down trees all around as I labored on. Finally, the pygmy pine fell. On delivery, my dearest Rebecca told my future father-in-law of my feet, and he was utterly unimpressed, but suggested I take a chainsaw next time. Or just get a pre-cut tree. But mine was cut with a labor of love. Now, for the record, all the rest of our trees for through uh, 23 years of marriage uh, have been pre-cut with love. 
from then on. And now we have a fake tree that is even more loved. But let's get back to the sermon. What is your labor of love? Would you have one? You know, we have so many labors of love going on around Smithville Mennonite Church. I have people coming in, painting the kitchen, sealing the parking lot, ripping out old shrubs and putting in new shrubs with fresh soil and mulch. We have people lovingly laboring over our building. Every Sunday school teacher, uh, mentor, and sponsor labors lovingly with our children. Our ladies' sewing group lovingly labor over quilts and puzzles and whatever else they may do in service to God. We have a beautiful decorating committee that, that makes our, our worship space more attractive and inviting. These are all labors of love to God. Let me just ask you, what is your labor of love to God? Now, the other quality they had was their hope. In fact, it says what inspired their endurance was hope. Again, this church had to endure hardship, but they did it with hope. Hope is the one thing that can pull you through. No matter how dark the world gets, if there's even the tiniest light of hope off in the distance, you will make it. And who did they hope in? Look at the end of verse 3. It's Jesus. No matter what we must endure, Jesus can be that light. He can be that hope you hold on to, and he will hold on to you. So how is your hope right now? Who are you hoping in? Again, I watched that presidential debate, and I'm so glad I don't need to put my hope in those men. They would not make me endure. Only one man gives hope that will endure for eternity. The Thessalonians knew him. My question is, do you know him? Let's continue on in verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You may want to underline that phrase. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Your subpoint number two, verses five through seven, chosen people still experience severe suffering. Then your application question is this. What does it reveal in you, it being severe suffering? I recently read something uh, that said we suffer because we are chosen. In fact, there was this, there was this incredible quote from F.B. Myers. Uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase. He said, basically, we are called to the rough road. So every jolt along the way reminds us we are on the right road. Now, we don't exactly know what all happened in Thessalonica when this church was founded. But if you recall in Acts 17, Jason, part of the church, got roughed up, then shaken down for bail money. 
This guy and his friends suffered on several levels, though they were chosen. Now, here's the big news in verse 6. Even in severe suffering, chosen people can have joy. Oh, this is a game changer. The world would say, when you suffer, you are sad, and that's normal. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can still have joy even when we suffer. The text in verse 5 also points to power. This is how you deal with suffering. Paul's ministry was marked with miracles, healing, raising people from the dead, even miraculous escapes. There was power the world had not known. I find it very interesting how power is redefined in the New Testament. Did you ever notice that? Power had nothing to do with force or violence by the chosen person of God. Let me say that again. Power had nothing to do with force or violence by the chosen person of God. The truth and the spirit were all the power that was needed. In our world today, there is a deep need for power. And I don't mean power for your phones or your computers or even your car. I don't even mean political power to run our country or influence our world. We need the power the Thessalonian church had, the power that the Holy Spirit gives us, the power that the truth gives us. Again, we can imagine this power was manifested in many ways, perhaps healing and such. But then we see the source in verse 5. The Holy Spirit is the driving force in their lives. Oh, friends, when we run low on the Spirit, we run low on everything. But when we have this power, we have everything we need. We need the Spirit to fill our lives today. Worship can do this. This is why we gather every Sunday at Smithville Mennonite to worship together, to get refilled. Oh, friend, I hope this is why you listen to this broadcast, that you listen to this podcast. And I hope that through the Holy Spirit, as we go into God's word, that he fills you up again. But then there is also Deep conviction. Please notice that in the text. When you see God working with power and the Holy Spirit is moving in people around you, suddenly there is deep conviction. You realize you are not where you need to be. There's a sin that you don't want in your life. Or maybe you just need to be more connected to God than you are right now. Deep conviction is a good thing as it is the only thing that really changes our lives. When you put power fueled by the Holy Spirit that produces deep conviction in people, you have a formula for having joy even in severe suffering. So what does severe suffering reveal in you? You know, it's easy to be a fair weather fan. The sun is shining, your team is winning. It's great to cheer, isn't it? But what about in the rain? When your team is losing 50 to 0, then it's tough, isn't it? You know, it's equally easy to be a fair-weather Christian 
And we've had quite a bit of fair weather as a church in America. Oh, but friends, now the storm clouds are swirling and we've had some losses. The suffering has started and what does it reveal in us? Is there powerful Holy Spirit-driven conviction that makes us say, you know, we are unworthy of the blessings we've received in the past. We, we're unworthy even of the blessings we have now. We can suffer and still have joy because we still have Jesus and he's all we need. Is this the case for you? You see, when this happens, something wonderful occurs. Look at verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let me give you this last sub point. When you are chosen, there is change. When you are chosen, there is change. My challenge question is this. What rings out from you? And then a bonus challenge. What changed or is changing in you? Here we can read that the mission of this church, of this chosen church, is being fulfilled. The message was ringing out. The European church was born and was getting the message out to the world. This ringing is what brought our ancestors to faith. The church, this church, represents the roots of our own European faith. Because they were chosen and they were faithful in their walk and witness, we too have been chosen. So let me ask you this. What is ringing out of you? What is known everywhere about you, church. But it wasn't just talk. The message was backed up with faithful change. This change, look at verse 9, is when we turn from idols to the living and true God. What needs to change in you? Now, I know we don't believe in 21st century American church that we struggle with idols. We don't have weird-shaped creatures in our homes that we bow and pray to every day. Or do we? Oh, friend, how many hours do we excitedly stare at a screen getting pleasure and fulfillment from what we see on those screens? We bow our heads every time we look at our phone. How many times do we go to the fridge not to get food out or not to get food out that we need, but to get comfort and a sense of security and control as we eat what we don't need? How often do we shop, not because we need something, but because we want to feel the power of getting what we want when we want it, because we want it? Oh, friends, I think we may have an idolatry problem in our country. When you received Jesus, was there a change? Does there need to be change now? Our journey with Jesus is always one of renewal. It's always one of new beginnings and do-overs. Don't be afraid to ask God to change you because he can and he will because you are chosen. Let's review just a little bit. 
The three marks of a chosen person are what? Faith, love, and hope. Are these evident in you? Friend, who do you have faith in? Does anybody know it? What is your labor of love for God? Are you going to do it? And who are you hoping in today? Who does your hope hang on? Who is that light out in the darkness that gives you hope? Next, chosen people still experience severe suffering. I really wish I wouldn't have to say that point. But then I want to know, what does severe suffering reveal in you? Does it reveal bitterness, hatred, a desire for revenge? Or could it reveal joy? Then, finally, when you are chosen, there is change. What rings out from you? Where is your faith known or by who? What would people say rings out of you? And then, does there need to be change? What are you known for in your social work or family circles? Are you struggling with idol worship? Do you need to turn from that and change? Oh, that we would know the power of being chosen even today. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for everyone who is listening right now. And I pray that you would bless them and help them to know that they are chosen in you. Lord, bless each one. Make their faith increase as they draw closer to you each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.